This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. And now we have a treat for sports fans everywhere. It's really important that professional athletes learn what uh, to say and how to deliver their message. You've got a great first half. Make sure you keep the ball doing the work. We're still looking to get it in the wide areas. First of all, it's the correct stadium design, but also the correct pitch construction. And that clash, that rivalry comes together with that traditional white blocked against that more modern, contemporary neon color. All these events live on the programme. We'll continue to do our best to cover sport in the way that you like, backed up by our highly professional team. Grandstand starts now on BFM 89.9. Hello there. Welcome to another episode of Grandstand with me, Ross Yusuf. This is a show that attempts to give you an alternative view to sport by the people, from the people who work in sport. You know you can catch up on previous shows through the BFM website, of course, bfm.my. Also, advice to you is download the app. It makes life a lot easier. It's your best way to stay connected. The app, the BFM app, is available through Google Play and the App Store. It's refreshing and best of all, it's free. Wow, that's my free ad for BFM for this show. Um, This week, our focus is on television pundits, in particular, football television pundits. It's not the easiest job in the world, um, although a lot of people do think otherwise. You hear them shouting out in pubs. (laughs) Most of the time, you actually need to have been involved in the game, uh, an ex-player, and you also kind of need to be eloquent. Now you see the problem. Well, this week, our guest ticks all those boxes. And you know what? He does it in English and in BM. You see him on Astro, on RTM, on TV3, on Fox Sports. Welcome to the show, Stanley Bernard. My first question to you would be, how much do you miss those playing days? Well, firstly, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Ross. Um... (laughs) Yes, I do. Um, purely because I think uh, my career ended earlier than expected. Um, medical reasons. Mm, injury. Uh, yep, yeah, injury. Broke my uh, fibula. And then my tibia as well. Was uh, that the first time? Yeah. I mean, twice. <laughs> so it was uh, a recurrence, um, which caused me no chance. I mean, the first time I thought I could have come back, but the second one... No, okay. Yeah. Let, let's let's stay on that for, for a sec. That... Career-ending injury, mentally, how were you during that period? And how long ago was this you're talking about? Um, 2012, uh, this happened in the towards the end of the Malaysian Super League, which was about August, about August. Um, well, when the doctor just tells you that, you know, you might not be able to... Was play. it a, a bad tackle? It was, it was. It was in Ipoh Stadium. Um it was just a misjudge. You remember it clearly? Yeah, I was unconscious after that. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know what happened. And once I got up, it wasn't long. I, I woke up after like five minutes and I was in pain. Not very, very bad pain, but pain. I've been through a few knee injuries. I've been through a few meniscus problems, but this was different. This was me walking and then slipping. So I basically couldn't walk straight and it was a bit weird. Um, then went to the doctors and they said, oh, you've got a fracture right in your shin bone, right in the center. Your heart shin. must have sank, right? Yep. At that particular moment? Yep. And and I've 
because apparently I've got really strong uh, quads. Uh, my calves are strong. Um, I've played with a bit of a hairline fracture, actually. Um, for, for how long? I, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. A doctor didn't know. But he said that that tackle actually just aggravated it even worse. Now, you may have just opened the can. So, uh, the fact that you do that, that must occur now, today, uh, in the sport. Players are playing with unknown injuries. And I'm, I'm very sure. I mean, if you if you go back to light, more light injuries, I mean, someone like Thierry Henry, he played with Achilles problem all his life. And, and it's right. something that you can't cure. And it's very painful. I've... I've not a person that's had it throughout my career, but some do. It doesn't cure when it became uh, once it become chronic. Um, yeah, a lot of players do, and and that's why I think. Um, I mean, you just go back to Mourinho saying that some players are un- refusing to play mm, even mm. with just slight niggling problems. I can see where he's coming from because I, I was a player once. And I played with a lot of injuries. But you can see both sides of that, surely. I, I can see when when something is limiting you to playing your 100% and you don't. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, once you're on the field, even the manager who forces you to play is liable to the fact that you need to give 110%. And anything that blocking you from playing 100% and you shouldn't play. But then I believe niggling injuries, that's way of coming, off, coming out of it. Lots of medications these days, lots yeah. of things that can help. So yeah. that's why I think Mourinho is making a fuss out of it. Well, thankfully for you, uh, one career may have ended. Your, your playing career stopped, but uh, you certainly found another career. Uh, you, you've got, uh, you, you're now probably one of the most well-known and hardest-working <laughs> pundits I know. Um, tell us a little bit how, how that started. How did you go from an injured sportsman to suddenly, oh, I'll do this. Well, I started off with you, Ross. <laughs> it all started <laughs> off back at uh, Bullard Mama. While I was still playing, um, I guess it just happened naturally. I think the hardest process was um, to accept that I had to retire, and 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 the fact that I knew exactly that this was there, but how how far can I go? How much can I do with it? I didn't know. Mm. Um, but I was I was at Bolat Mama, and I started commentating in 2011. I was still playing then. Yeah. Um, the commentary. I think my first game I commentated was with Jeeves. Yeah. Even Sullivan had it, yeah. Uh, World Cup qualifier, Malaysia against Bahrain. Um, and from that point, I think um, it was a blessing the fact that I could still go to stadiums and be around the crowd and, watching and, and, football and from the w- other side. It must be easy for you as well because it's hardly any prep needed. You literally knew everybody by face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's players from my own generation. Like, exactly. Yeah. Um, it was good. It, it, was, it was an eye opener. Uh, the fact that. You know, I mean, you, you, you go back to players like Aaron Lennon recently mm. uh, found at a bridge not mm. knowing what yeah, he was going to yeah. do. It's not easy um, when you are forced to retire or even for the fact that in terms of Aaron Lennon, I would say that, that sometimes you feel like you can go until you're 35 playing at that level. Fast player, you know, goes down the wings really well, taking on players and, and, and stuff. And all of a sudden you lose that pace. And that's the only thing you know. And all of a sudden, you lose your, your purpose. So it's not easy. Then that's what I'm saying. It was a blessing, the fact that I was still largely involved in football. Because I think the first three months of my retirement, well, I never declared retirement, to be honest, even yeah. to today. <laughs> yeah. If you know that. <laughs> um, there's a reason to it because I feel like I'm still part of football. There's no retiring. You die with it. Absolutely. So I, I believe in it. So you're retiring one part of it, but you're still part of it. So that's not retirement. Um, but the three months to four months, I would say, it was really tough because mentally... 
just didn't know. I mean, you wake up every morning, you know you're going to go through the hustle now, bustle. Now, th- yeah. this is something the public don't know about. This is the depression part of a yeah. professional player. Um, I mean, you, you look at it one end, uh, Robert Anker, a German goalkeeper, yep. took his own life and it happens. D- does it happen as well in Malaysian football, do you think? Um, I believe so, but in Malaysian football, I guess the situation is a bit harder actually than in Europe. You you will realise that the fact that most European players, I mean, we're talking, I mean, let's, let's put it, a lot of people who watch football do watch the top football. Mm. The top football earns top money. Yeah. So players like Robert Anker financially should be completely fine. And Aaron Allen, I mean, you don't need to yeah, speak about exactly. So the pay packages. Yeah, exactly. So it's not about money. Yeah, but in Malaysia, it's even tougher. Because if you go back prior to, say, not even that long ago, um, when I was what, 19, 2007, mm. 2006, players, national players were barely on 8,000 ringgit. And let's talk about normal players who were just earning three, 4,000 ringgit. Of course, now the top players are on 80,000, 70,000, some largely an average of 25,000 and above, mm. which is a good pay packet. But you go back then, imagine them being forced to retire and not having any um, backup plan. No, yeah, Firstly, exactly. education-wise, yeah. they've got nothing. Financially, they've got not enough to, to go on a year without playing football. Are, are there associations that look after footballers like that in Malaysia? Absolutely not till PFAM came about. I mean, if you go back then, there was nothing. You could hear, I mean, you, you could just go back to a few players from that generation who are still working in factories because mm. they don't have education. And and they might, even if you talk to them about football, they, they wouldn't have the, the, the mood to talk about it just yeah. because yeah. it didn't yeah. give them anything um, back when, I mean, I know the world doesn't owe you anything, but the fact that if you played for a certain state, I mean, I think you should be taken care of to an extent where perhaps not, not if you can't fund a player at the least, give a player a, a room in, in sports. That's a lot of ways that Absolutely. an association can help. That is such a valid point. Here's to hoping that uh, current sportsmen and women are actually thinking about their post-playing futures and actually planning for it. Stanley Bernard is lucky enough to have a career after playing football and we'll hear more about it right after this short break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Stan about our national team. Stay tuned. More Grandstand coming right up on BFM 89.9. Bringing fresh meaning. BFM 89.9. A view of sports from every angle. This is Grandstand. Welcome back. Hello, this is Grandstand and I am Ross. This week, we are speaking to ex-footballer and current TV pundit, Stanley Bernard. All right. I, I know football's in your heart. You are Malaysian through and through. Um, you and I love and, and have worked commentating on a national team. Um, but at the end of the day, we're, we're trailing behind the likes of our very close neighbours like Thailand. And that hurts, doesn't it, Stan? Big time. Um, we don't have a succession plan. Of, of but how is that possible? Don't we have better facilities in Malaysia than in Thailand, for example? And again, I would say facilities don't win you football matches. Infrastructures don't win you football matches. Uh, again, <laughs> I've been talking about the new regime under TMJ. Um, brilliant. The fact that someone of his stature 
has taken a responsibility um, to come on and 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 take an association which is perhaps the most hardest association to run because the demands of the fans are really high and he knows what is at stake because he did change the whole football but again Tunku Makoto Joe TMJ is not Ronaldo he's not Messi he's not going to score you 50 goals because he's not a football player he's a man who needs help he's a man who needs talent and time he, as well he needs time he needs uh, youth to come through the ranks good talented youths because end of the day the 11 on the pitch win you football matches that, that doesn't change yeah, yeah. so if you ask me why we be in thailand i uh, i think 2003 when i graduated from bukit jalil sports school it was that batch um where it was no sharul you got your angel yeah, hadi yeah. farizal marlias yeah. um i mean just to name the least and then you got the younger batch one year younger shafiq rahim ideal zafwan uh and the, and the list goes on and then the younger ones and then you had about three four generations mm. who was really good mm. and then they introduced the harimau muda program and then the results was 2009 malaysia won the sea games yep. 2010 malaysia won the aff and then the younger generation badru bakhtias generation which is the third generation wins the sea games in 2011 so it why, was why have we not carried that on exactly um why we've not carried that on is because doesn't necessarily in football football evolves every day so if you if you thought that harimau muda program worked and then it it has won you a cup which you've never won which is yeah, the yeah, cup yeah. we sat on our laurels oh this is working let's continue it for the next next 20 years i mean you look at a, a league like the english premier league even they are finding it hard to produce youngsters yeah it's because they have not moved with times so it's it's that hard football is that hard because if you don't move then when you win you have a platform to build upon you've got companies you've got people excited to to part money to part ways with their money because they feel okay there's something right going on we never pounced on that opportunity yeah. we never we never grew from that point yeah. we thought harimau muda program will last for the next fifth no it won't because that was then it worked but we didn't take the next step mm. how do we build upon because we've got a bunch of generation of footballers that people were looking up to i mean you go back ross i mean we were excited 2010 looking at yeah. our own stars safi sali was a yeah. household name yeah. gets a huge contract in indonesia i'm one of those who traveled and played abroad not many and i and i think a lot of that only one player traveling abroad for me was not enough yeah. you needed a few names but, to go but that that that's a that comes with a personal uh, ambition and right that, absolutely and that's why i thought the harimau muda program worked for one player to travel abroad worked for a few household names to carry malaysia to the ff final and win it but then how do we grow did we grow with it no we didn't the result speaks for itself we just went downwards and then we recorded one of the darkest days in our football losing 10-0 to oh. Okay, so so now yeah. we we maybe have the right man in charge. Um, how long are we looking at here? I mean, before I leave this mortal coil, for example, would we qualify for the for an Asian Cup? I'm not even talking World Cup here. I'm I'm setting my sights lower now. An Asian Cup would be that that must be a target, right? It must be. Um, well, firstly, I think the man in charge is very very new. Um, I looked at the selection. Of the f- pool of players, he hasn't done that selection rightly so because he has yet to know about the league. He has yet to see enough football. Um, but still, if you look at that pool of players, it doesn't surprise you, isn't it? It's, It's that same, same pool of talent. Yeah. That's the best we have, and we've got to agree with that. How much can he improve that? The best way we have, he needs time. 
I mean, I, I know, I know, it's an old cliche where people say, "Oh, time." And national coaches don't have time mm-hmm. because if we follow the FIFA rules, they they report three, four days at max, four days at good, three days. He's only need to work on the tactical. He can't work on the fitness. But he must have been shocked at what he saw after the seventieth minute against um, the last game against uh, Lebanon. Yes, against Lebanon. Yeah, Bagada's team. Yep. So he must have been shocked um, the fact that he how, how we just. Crumbled towards crumbled, the end. Yeah, I thought we started really well yeah. with positives in yeah. the first ten minutes. The intensity, is, is, we were is, hard. Okay, it stop you there. Is that a case of instructions? I don't know. Go disappearing with tiredness and and players unable to then follow instructions. Why did that happen? It was so good it's, for seventy odd minutes. But right? it's almost a disease, isn't it? Every time that we concede a late goal, and it's always the seventieth and ninetieth minute mark. And it's many would say it's a disease. I just say it's Malaysian league. Malaysian league. If you watch Malaysian league, it's very good football for a good an hour, and then last twenty minutes, barely, barely, teams play. They just linger around. If you're down three 0 there's no chance that you're gonna see the opponent scoring three goals to equalize or even a goal to try and get back it, into the isn't match. Isn't that looking at the big picture? Isn't that a bit defeatist attitude to have? Um, I I generally think we need to produce. Good competitive mentality. That's that's what we need. Um, if you go back, yeah, youth. What if the youth is really talented, but the mentality is the same? What if the boy is really good when teams are winning, but what if he's not good enough to fight when his team is losing? We need to to breed a culture of fighters, warriors. The the, the thing with, our, with with Malaysians is we don't fight enough. Um, generally, I just think. You go back to the Japanese side who qualified for the 1998 World Cup yep. with Nakata on the side. They produced a solid league. Dunga went to to yep. to Japan. Yep, and, and they play. started well after the MSL, didn't Absolutely. they? Absolutely. And and for me, Malaysian league. If you don't have a competitive league, that's why I agree with TMJ on this. Where he says, if you don't have five six teams competing at the highest level to win the title, then go to the AFC Cup, and then eventually someday the AFC Champions League, competing at a level. How can you play at this level on a Tuesday at Malaysian Super League and then expect to play against Korea on a Saturday? There's no, there's no two ways about it. There's, there's no rocket science to yeah, it. It's you impossible. Can't do it. Yeah. There's only one way about it. You play at the same level on Tuesday, then perhaps it's a bit more higher level on a Saturday. Understandably, this is yeah. we we just playing against a side who's playing week in week out. If you watch the Champions League, you know the Koreans and the Japanese side, despite the China side spending enormous amount of money. Yeah. They've got a settled league, settled players, settled way of going about with their football. But we're, okay, so now with TMJ coming in, it's ideal. We can actually literally start again with a from a blank piece of paper, if you like. Will we do this properly now? Can can we professionalize the right clubs? Use geography, you know, and and maybe build football. Only stadiums. That's my personal gripe as well. Well, firstly, I think if you look what he has done, that's why he was elected as the president of FAM. It's because what not only what the results on the pitch says, but it's what he's built around. Because I think the important thing in Malaysian football is not about the person at helm today, but if you minus him today, what does he leave behind? And I think if you look at Johor, if he walks away, he's left so much behind. Absolutely. And that's where I think. Um, FM should be heading. Tomorrow there is a continuity. No matter what happens, Nello Vingara gone in two years. What does he leave behind? A bunch of players that the next coach 
can take to the next level. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because now he has come. I, I feel for Nelo Vingada to to an extent because if you look at his CV, wherever he's gone, me, yeah, a lot of people tell me, yeah, he's short term. But he's been successful. He was successful as an Egyptian club called Zamalek yep, FC. Yep. And I know a few players who played for that club. They've only got a lot of good things to say. And they say they've improved under him. Saudi Arabia, when they won it in 1996, you've got to remember, the Iranian side had players like Ali Dai. Yeah. And, and still the Saudi side went on to win. So, of course, yeah, then, yeah I mean, so he's dealt he's dealt with some of the best players in Asia we have seen. So he certainly know how to win. But he's worked with a good pool of talent of players and now he's come to this and, and it's not easy. A lot of the players, I mean, we're still hoping on Shafiq Rahim, who for me is by far still the, the best. The best midfielder in the best midfielder in the country. But how much can we squeeze of him in an international match? How much of a hunger does he have? As he had in 2010. Yeah, yeah. So these are the little questions that will decide if you win an international match or not. You know, I reckon we can actually do a whole show just talking about our national side. And you know what? I think we might in future. <laughs> Coming up next, then, we find out about the private side of a TV pundit. How does Stanley Bernard chill out? We'll find out next. This is Grandstand on BFN 89.9. Building Fit Malaysians, BFM 89.9. Sit back, talk sports and play ball. This is Grandstand. Okay, let me talk to you about Stanley Bernard Samuel. I'm, I'm always suspicious when national footballers come into a studio uh, because they'll always have a high that have a really high opinion of themselves or they won't have anything to say. There tends to be no middle ground. Well, Stan came in and he was the middle ground. He, he spoke well, he spoke at length, and he spoke clearly. He spoke in Malay, he spoke in English, and he was a, a delight to be around from the very first time I met him. He was keen to learn. He was keen to ask questions. He was interested and interesting. And from the very first time I met Stanley Bernard Samuel, I, I've been impressed with this fellow. I didn't actually get a chance to work with him until maybe two or three years after I'd first met him. And we started doing English commentary on Astro Arena and we were looking for colour commentators. And Stan, who'd been working on Super Sports and I'd been alongside him in a couple of shows, started working on Astro Arena, where he became a, a, um, an analyst, which is a, a difficult job to get the best out of because... You're there to tell people what people cannot see. It's relatively easy to be a, a, um, a lead commentator because you're describing in many ways what people can see. You're just adding, trying to add a little bit of value. And Stan had the other skill set of being able to work out what the tactics were. Very often he could see things I couldn't see. And that, to me, marks out a good colour commentator. If he's telling you things that you cannot see, if he's helping educate the audience, if he's helping the audience understand what's going on, to me, that's a, a brilliant colour commentator, and Stan was able to do that. Initially, he was doing it very wordily. He was saying too many things uh, in long-winded ways, and I used to have to cut him off and try to say, the replays are yours. Cut out before the replays. But he learned that skill. And then he learned how to do it in Malay. And the Malay guys will tell you that it's almost impossible to condense Malay words into um, short sentences. Stan somehow has managed to do that as far as my limited uh, ability to translate works out. But I listen to him on air 
He sounds authoritative. He sounds confident. He sounds as though he knows what he's talking about. And that's half the skill. From the English language, I know he knows what he's talking about. And since then, he's continued to want to learn. He's learned how to lead, commentate. He's learned how to front programs. He's a team player. He will understand if somebody else is weak and he needs to step in. And uh, in, 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 all, in all ways, I'm, I, th I think Stan is one of uh, the few people I have come across in Southeast Asia who really gets the different roles of sports commentary and sports broadcasting. And it has been an absolute pleasure to work with him. And he still asks questions. He still cares. He's still worried about his voice. He still demands to know different adjectives on things he might be able to say. He still demands feedback. And at the same time, he's doing his AFC coaching badges as well. That was one of my comments to him. People don't believe that you're credible, I said. Although you're an international footballer, Malaysian footballers are looked down upon by the general public. So you need something else. You need something else. He's gone and got his badges. He was offered, I understand, I don't know if this is uh, official, he was offered the chance to work with the under-19s. He turned them down because he didn't think he was ready. And that, to me, is just a sign of, of, of Stan, the broadcaster and the football man. I like him off-screen as well, but he has got this all-round ability, which is unique as far as I've come across in Southeast Asia, definitely in Malaysia, to be bilingual and to understand his roles both as a footballer and as a, as a broadcaster. I cannot speak highly enough about the fellow. Sports commentator Des Corkill saying ultra nice things about today's guest, Stanley Bernard. Brilliant stuff. Okay, a little bit more, a little bit about Stan now. Forget all that sports <laughs> stuff. Um, about when, when, you, when you're not co-commentating, when you're not watching sport, what do you do? Well, right now I'm on the verge of getting my license. I've already... Um, it's still sport though. It's still work-related. Yeah, uh, I mean... I don't do you, know. I don't know what to do besides sports. Do, don't you cook? Don't you garden? Don't you have a pet cat? <laughs> you you stroke all the time. Uh, uh, I used to have a dog, <laughs> but I think uh, I had to let the dog go because I didn't have the time. <laughs> um, well, I don't know. I, I I play social football. It's still it's still sports. Mm -hmm. I, actually, good question. You ask me. I don't do anything outside sports. Okay. Um, well, maybe you should work on that. Maybe that's something <laughs> that the other stand needs. Um, all right. Let, let's wrap up with this. Um, Young kids listening now, say say uh, a footballer in the making. What's what's the one piece of advice you can give to him? Because you've seen it all from a player uh, career uh, abruptly cut short. Uh, you've got an alternative career. What advice do you give young footballers out there now? Well, firstly, I think um, this is my personal advice from my own personal experience. In two thousand and nine, I think I was owed about six months of a salary by my team. UPB my team in Malaysian Super League. This is another Malaysian problem. Yeah. yeah. So I was owed that kind of money for various reasons. And um, I had an offer to go to Kelantan. And the bulk of the players who went to Kelantan are the, the players that started off at JDT. And Kelantan went on on a successful run under Boyan Hodak. He was under Satya then in 2010. And uh, he did offer me a contract, a very good contract, and to a team which I knew guarantee was going to win everything mm -hmm. in Malaysian football because... You had your Indra Putras and you had Mo Sharul and the entire batch of my team players, all the current national players going. And then I had that little slight window where it was just basically one chance to go and play abroad, which is India. And it wasn't even a concrete offer. It was a trial. It wasn't a trial. It was more me getting used to the 
whether I can adopt but to that, place that the food. called more to you. Yeah, despite knowing that the fact that if I was going to take a, a, a salary right now from Kelantan, the fact that I knew Kelantan knew I was being owed six months and they just want to settle everything, mm-hmm. they would have just given me on the signing, they just give me a signing fee, settle all my yeah, debts. Yeah. And and I think 90% of people would have said, okay, that settles me. And I was going to India, which I know the fact that if I fail, I came, if I come back to Malaysia, I don't have the window anymore on my side, which means I'll be without a club. So I took a one-way ticket and and without much of, of funds or finance on my side. And it was one of the best decisions I made because today when I retire, yes, I could have been in Kelantan. I, I've got no Malaysia Cup medals to show. Mm-hmm. But you have but played abroad. You've played, you've, you've, you've realised what it's like for other people to to love the game. And, and that's important. That's invaluable as well, right? Yep. And so what you're saying to kids is, don't stop chasing a dream. Yeah, don't stop. because Purely because if you look at a foreign player coming to Malaysia, he's judged within a month. He's sacked within a month. And that was me going to training after signing a contract at Sporting Club to go on India. First day of training, I felt I, I, I did really well at training. But then the coach just comes up and saying, you know you're a foreign player. So what you did today, you got to do 10 times better. <laughs> so every day you go to training, wow. knowing that you've, you've got to prove why you are one of the foreign players. That's the kind of pressure that the foreign players that Malaysian league face day in, day yeah, out. Yeah. But unle- unless maybe only Safi Sali could explain this at this point. Yeah. Nazmi Fayez played for a while, not, not first team, not exactly a foreign signing. But we're talking about someone like Safi Sali, who's who's bought to score goals. Mm-hmm. So he knows the responsibility of going into training, the pressure, the game, because you're expected to help the locals and be better than them. That's That itself just puts you in a different platform. That itself makes you a better player. That itself makes you a better national asset. So if you imagine if you had 11 national players or 11 Malaysian players, playing abroad, coming back to the national camp. Mm-hmm. The mentality, the setup, the intensity, the coach will be very glad to coach all of them. So that's my advice. If you have an opportunity, kids out there, talented ones, if you have an opportunity, I know Malaysian League is playing well at this point, but if you have an opportunity to go even be a foreign player in Thailand, in the Middle East, of course, J-League and K-League will be the benchmark. Don't look going to the Premier League because yeah, that's, that, that's, that's too far sky, yeah. don't even look at the German League don't look at anywhere just go around Asia top leagues in Asia even Thailand for me and and try to pit yourself to be one of the foreigners and when you come back you'll be Malaysia's best player brilliant stuff Stanley, Bernard thank you so much for taking time out to talk to us today have you enjoyed it? it's a bit different eh? well it's nice uh, it's nice something different I don't need to <laughs> analyse uh, <laughs> things on the pitch it's, it's brilliant it's brilliant Stanley Bernard, ex-player, TV pundit, good friend. I, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this week's show. And maybe the next time when you see those TV pundits on, on TV and, you know, they're not used to wearing all that makeup and, and stuffy suits and stuff like that, give them a break. They're actually doing a very difficult job. Hope you've enjoyed listening. And also hope that you will tune in next week for another show for more Grandstand. Bye now. Tune in next week for more Grandstand on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. 
To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.